Chapter Twelve of Clotel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clotel by William Wells Brown. Chapter Twelve. A Night in the Parson's Kitchen. And see the servants met, their daily labors o'er, and with the jest and song they set the kitchen in a roar. Mr. Peck kept around him four servants besides Currer, of whom we have made mention. Of these Sam was considered the first. If a dinner-party was in contemplation, or any company to be invited to the parson's, after all the arrangements had been talked over by the minister and his daughter, Sam was sure to be consulted upon the subject by Miss Georgie, as Miss Peck was called by the servants. If furniture, crockery, or anything else was to be purchased, Sam felt that he had been slighted if his opinion had not been asked. As to the marketing, he did it all. At the servant's table in the kitchen, he sat at the head and was master of ceremonies. A single look from him was enough to silence any conversation or noise in the kitchen, or any other part of the premises. There is, in the southern states, a great amount of prejudice against color amongst the negroes themselves. The nearer the negro or mulatto approaches to white, the more he seems to feel his superiority over those of a darker hue. This is no doubt the result of the prejudice that exists on the part of the whites towards both mulattoes and blacks. Sam was originally from Kentucky, and through the instrumentality of one of his young masters, whom he had to take to school, he had learned to read so as to be well understood, and owing to that fact was considered a prodigy among the slaves, not only of his own masters, but those of the town who knew him. Sam had a great wish to follow in the footsteps of his master and be a poet, and was therefore often heard singing doggerels of his own composition. But there was one great drawback to Sam, and that was his color. He was one of the blackest of his race. This he evidently regarded as a great misfortune. However, he made up for this in his dress. Mr. Peck kept his servants well dressed, and as for Sam, he was seldom seen, he was seldom seen except in a ruffled shirt. Indeed, the washerwoman feared him more than all others about the house. Currer, as we have already stated, was chief of the kitchen department, and had a general supervision of the household affairs. Alfred the coachman, Peter and Hetty, made up the remainder of the house servants. Besides these, Mr. Peck owned eight slaves who were masons. These worked in the city. Being mechanics, they were let out to greater advantage than to keep them on the farm. However, every Sunday night, Peck's servants, including the bricklayers, usually assembled in the kitchen, when the events of the week were freely discussed and commented on. It was on a Sunday evening, in the month of June, that there was a party at Mr. Peck's, and according to custom in the southern states, the ladies had their maid-servants with them. Tea had been served in the house, and the servants, including the strangers, had taken their seats at the tea-table in the kitchen. Sam, being a single gentleman, was usually attentive to the ladies on this occasion. He seldom or ever let the day pass without spending at least an hour in combing and brushing up his hair. Sam had an idea that fresh butter was better for his hair than any other kind of grease, and therefore, on churning days, half a pound of butter had always to be taken out before it was salted. When he wished to appear to great advantage, he would grease his face to make it shiny. On the evening of the party, therefore, when all the servants were at the table, Sam cut a big figure. There he sat with his wool well combed and buttered, face nicely greased, and his ruffles extending five or six inches from his breast. The parson in his own drawing-room did not make a more imposing appearance than did his servant on this occasion. 
"'I'd just been had my fortune told last Sunday night,' said Sam, as he helped one of the girls to some sweet hash. "'Indeed,' cried half a dozen voices. "'Yes,' continued he. "'Aunt Winnie told me I is to have the prettiest yellow girl in town, and that I is to be free.' All eyes were immediately turned toward Sally Johnson, who was seated near Sam. "'I speck I see somebody blush at dat remark,' said Alfred. "'Pass dem pancakes and molasses up this way, Mr. Alf, and none of your insinuation here,' rejoined Sam. "'Dat reminds me,' said Cara, "'that Doria Simpson is going to get married.' "'Who, too, I want to know?' inquired Peter. "'To one of Mr. Darby's field hands,' answered Cara. "'I should think dat that girl would not throw herself away in dat manner,' said Sally. "'She good enough looking to get a house servant, and not to put up with a field nigger,' continued she. "'Yes,' said Sam. "'That's a very insensible remark of yours, Miss Sally. "'I admire your judgment very much, I assure you. "'Does plenty of susceptible and well-dressed house-servants "'that a gal of her looks can get, "'without taking up with dem common darkies. "'Is de man black or a mulatto?' inquired one of the company. "'He's nearly white,' replied Cara. "'Well, den, dat's some excuse for her,' remarked Sam. "'For I don't like to see dis amalgamation of blacks and mulattoes.' "'No mulatto?' inquired one of the corn-how. "'Continued Sam. "'If I had my rights, I would be a mulatto, too, "'for my mother was almost as light-colored as Miss Sally,' said he. "'Although Sam was one of the blackest men living, "'he nevertheless contended that his mother was a mulatto, "'and no one was more prejudiced against the blacks than he. "'A good deal of work, and the free use of fresh butter, "'had no doubt done wonders for his hair in causing it to grow long, "'and to this he would always appeal when he wished to convince others that he was part of an Anglo-Saxon. "'I always thought you was not clear black, Mr. Sam,' said Agnes. "'You are right there, Miss Agnes. My hair tells what company I belong to,' answered Sam. Here the whole company joined in the conversation about color, which lasted for some time, given unmistakable evidence that caste is owing to ignorance. The evening's entertainment concluded by Sam's relating a little of his own experience, while with his first master in old Kentucky. Sam's former master was a doctor, and had a large practice among his neighbors, doctoring both masters and slaves. When Sam was about fifteen years of age, his old master set him to grinding up the ointment, then to making pills. As the young student grew older and became more practiced in his profession, his services were of more importance to the doctor. The physician, having a good business and a large number of his patients being slaves, the most of whom had to call on the doctor when ill, he put Sam to bleeding, pulling teeth, and administering medicine to the slaves. Sam soon acquired the name amongst the slaves of the black doctor. With this appellation he was delighted, and no regular physician could possibly have put on more airs than did the black doctor when his services were required. In bleeding he must have more bandages, and rub and smack the arm more than the doctor would have thought of. He once saw Sam taking out a tooth for one of his patients, and nothing appeared more amusing. He got the poor fellow down on his back, and he got a straddle of the man's chest, and getting the turnkeys on the wrong tooth, he shut both eyes and pulled for his life. The poor man screamed as loud as he could, but to no purpose. Sam had him fast. After a great effort, out came the sound grinder, and the young doctor saw his mistake, but consoled himself with the idea that as the wrong tooth was out of the way, there was more room to get at the right one. Bleeding and a dose of calomel was always considered indispensable by the old boss, and as a matter of course, Sam followed in his footsteps. 
On one occasion the old doctor was ill himself, so as to be unable to attend to his patients. A slave, with pass in hand, called to receive medical advice, and the old master told Sam to examine him and see what he wanted. This delighted him beyond measure, for although he had been acting his part in the way of giving out medicine as the master ordered, he had never been called upon by the latter to examine a patient, and this seemed to convince him that, after all, he was no sham doctor. As might have been expected, he cut a rare figure in his first examination, placing himself directly opposite his patient, and folding his arms across his breast, and looking very knowingly, he began, "'What's the matter with you?' "'I is sick.' "'Where is you sick?' "'Here,' replied the man, putting his hand upon his stomach. "'Put out your tongue,' continued the doctor. The man ran out his tongue at full length. "'Let me feel your pulse.' At the same time, taking his patient's hand in his, placing his fingers on his pulse, he said, "'Ah, your case is a bad one. If I don't do something for you, and dat pretty quick, you'll be a gone coon, and dat certain.' At this the man appeared frightened, and inquired what was the matter with him. In answer Sam said, "'I done told you dat your case is a bad one, and dat's enough.' On Sam's returning to his master's bedside, the latter said, "'Well, Sam, what do you think is the matter with him?' "'His stomach is out of order, sir,' he replied. "'What do you think had best be done for him?' "'I think I'd better bleed him and give him a dose of calomel,' returned Sam. So to the latter's gratification, the master let him have his own way. We need not further say that the recital of Sam's experience as a physician gave him a high position amongst the servants that evening, and made him a decided favorite with the ladies, one of whom feigned illness when the black doctor— to the delight of all, and certainly to himself, gave medical advice. Thus ended the evening amongst the servants in the parson's kitchen. End of chapter 12